It's that crime of the month with Nicola Graham and Christiana Brockbank. In this podcast, we'll be diving into a story on a subject that's pretty bloody taboo, happens on the regular, and generally affects women way more than men. Yep, it's true crime. lots happen i know obviously this will go won't go out for a few weeks or like a month but galen maxwell she's been caught golden state killer has um said he's guilty i mean we all fucking knew it i don't know if that was you would you rather live in prison or would you rather just get killed would you rather be executed if it was me i think i'd rather live but yeah because i think as well on death row it's probably quite nice because i don't actually think many people get killed now on death row do they no they don't I don't know about nice, but it's like at least you're not dead. Away from no, yeah. Like I think you looked. I think you're looked after quite well because you're in like yeah, essentially solitary confinement, aren't you? Yeah, you're in solitary confinement, but I think that that can be a bad thing as well because you obviously don't have any interaction with people. So yeah, uh, the thing is, nothing that they can do to him is ever going to be as bad as what he did to other people. So it's just a bit. I don't know, he's not got that much time left anyway, has he? No, exactly. Um, and one other thing that I saw, I think I don't think this is time sensitive, it can, you can read about this any time. If you've watched The Staircase with Michael Peterson... Oh, yeah. The house is now for sale if anyone wants to buy it. Is it? Yeah. Oh, who would? 1.9 million. Wow. I know. Just watch out for those owls. Yeah. Killer owls living around there. I still think it's owls. I keep going back backwards and forwards because some people are really like he's definitely definitely guilty. And but the the owl stuff is quite convincing. There's like a criminal podcast episode about it. Yeah, and then when you actually read about it, and there are like actual known like owl attack. Like I think I saw some recently, and an owl had like got into I don't know if it was a police car or something, and something mental. And it was like yeah, if you don't believe the Michael Peterson, like you know sort of excuse, check this out. Fucking terrifying. But yeah, if you've not seen Staircase and you have no idea what we're talking about, I think it's on Netflix, isn't it? I think so. It definitely was. I don't know if it's still on, but yeah, it's, it is a really good um, true crime documentary. Yeah, give it a go. And yeah, it's very open as well. Like, you really don't know what has happened. It's not skewed to make you think it's one or the other. Yeah, it's, it is, it's a very well done documentary. But yeah, lots of true crime news at the moment. So today... We're going to talk about... It's a little bit different to other things that we've done, isn't it, I think? It's the story of the Cleveland kidnappings. In the beginning of the noughties. That's like nearly 20 years ago. That's crazy. Yeah, like it's... um, It feels like it's quite recent when you watch footage and stuff about it, but obviously it's like 20 years... Not nearly 20 years ago now. Yeah, the kidnappings, they involve, it involved three uh, young women. Michelle Knight, she was 20, 21 years old um, in August 2002. On the 22nd of August, she's last seen and reported missing the next day. Um, she had a two-year-old son uh, who she lost custody to the state. On the day she went missing, she was actually scheduled to appear in court in custody for her son, but she never made it to the hearing. She was last seen at a cousin's house, but because she was classed as an adult when she went missing, police thought that she'd just gone because she was stressed out or angry about losing custody of the, of her son. So it, again, it's that case of that they didn't bother to class her as a missing person quickly enough. They just assumed she was she just vanished of her own will, basically. I suppose as well, at 21 years old, she's, you know, there's less of a rush to find her because she's not as vulnerable as potentially other people are. A child, yeah. It's still frustrating though because it does feel like this happens so many times where they they just assume, they, they it's like they jump to a conclusion about a certain type of person because she was someone that had obviously had troubles and not been able to properly look after her son. And it sounded like her family as well as the police thought, oh, she's obviously just decided to leave so i suppose if you've not got your family pushing for someone to look for you the police look for you then you've not really got a cat in hell's chance have you 
Then, again, on April 2003, Amanda Berry, who was 16 years old, disappeared. That was on the 21st of April, and it was just a day shy of her 17th birthday. She'd called her sister to say that she'd been offered a ride home from her job at Burger King, so she didn't need to come for her. And investigators initially believed that, again, Berry was a runaway, which... (laughs) I bet they love it. I bet they like just say she's a runaway. Yeah, like, oh, I don't want to do the paperwork. But this time her mother insisted that she would never run away, especially for her birthday. Like, that's not something that you do as a teenager. It's like, I'll wait until I've got all my presents and then I'll run away. Yeah, exactly. Seventeen. You, you're turning 17. You'd run away the day after, wouldn't you, once you got your presents? Or like a week in case some people are late with cards and things. Exactly. <laughs> So a week after Barry's disappearance, her mother received a phone call that would change the course of the investigation. The caller was a man who said, I have Amanda, she's fine, and will be coming home in a couple of days. At first, Barry's mother thought that the call was a prank, since Barry's photo had been shown on TV that day, but investigators determined that the call came from Amanda's cell phone. After that, the FBI no longer believed that Barry had run away. I feel like that is a massive error on the part of the kidnapper. Like, you think, oh, what a fucking idiot. I know. It doesn't seem right considering all that happens. Well, later on, you'll see that the person that's done it, he does a lot, doesn't he, to try and hide everything that's going on. Yeah. Unfortunately, in 2006, Amanda's mother died of heart failure, so she never got to find out what happened to her daughter. Oh, that's sad. Then, finally, um, Georgina, known as Gina de Jesus, was a 14-year-old who, on the 2nd of April 2004, went missing. She disappeared when she was walking home from school. De Jesus's mother had given her money to take their bus home from school, but she decided to walk instead. She called her mother to ask if her friend could sleep over at their house, but her mother said no. So this is the last time that De Jesus's mother spoke to her daughter. Initially, there wasn't. They didn't think there was a connection between De Jesus's disappearance and uh, Amanda Berry's. That's mad, considering it's just a year after in like in the same area. And yeah, the the distance between these like places is not far at all. I can see them not connecting it with Michelle because she she seems to stand out because she's quite old in comparison. So it's weird because it's a bit. A bit peedy, but then there's an like a an adult woman. I mean, I suppose she's not adult, is she? But and she looks very young for her age as well. Yeah. So everyone was wondering what happened. What happened, Nicola? Ariel Castro happened. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Castro was born in Puerto Rico on July 10th, 1960. As a child, he moved to Cleveland, Ohio, where members of his extended family already lived. In 1992, Castro bought a house at two two. 07. Is that what they say in America? Or do they say 2207? No, I think they say like 2207. So he bought a house. That sounds better, doesn't it? At 2207 Seymour Avenue. He initially lived there with his wife and four children. However, Castro was allegedly violent with his wife, Grimilda, what a name, Grimilda Figueroa, and she left him in 1996, taking custody of their children as well after years of death threats and physical abuse. One time he beat her so badly a blood clot formed on her brain. And a 2005 court filing said that Castro frequently abducted his daughters and kept them from Figueroa. I mean, if that ain't sort of hints to his future, I don't know what is. There was other things as well. I think there's like he had quite a a long rap sheet for um, assaults that he'd, you know, that he'd done to his wife. You know, she'd been in hospital a few times. What a grot bag. Despite his volatility, his daughter Angie Gregg often thought of him as a friendly, caring, doting man who'd take her out for motorcycle rides and line his kids up in the backyard for haircuts. See, is that though one of those things, you know, where you almost block out the sort of horrible sort of memories? But I mean, as we'll talk about later, there is sort of this, he sort of obviously is an evil man, but there are moments where it's like, oh, actually. Yeah, well, as a father, he tr- he, he thinks that he's trying to be a good person, but he's just so deluded about what, what is morally right and what is morally wrong that he, he can't get it right. Yeah, and what is acceptable in society, I think. From 1992, he worked as a school bus driver from for the Cleveland Metropolitan School District until November 2012. This was because in 2004, and then again in 2012, he left a child on the bus. 
Like, what does that mean that he like locked it up with the child? I assume in because it obviously bus drivers in the UK there isn't really school buses. Or well, I think there might be occasionally, but they just stop off at normal routes and you just get off. But in um, America, they sometimes drop you off at your house and things, don't they? So he's obviously not dropped these kids off and then just left them on the bus. So he's obviously got off the bus and then left a child. Just gone home. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, amazing. I can't believe they let him get away with it twice, though. Surely after the first time, you'd be like, okay, I'm sorry, you're sacked. But then to be twice. I mean, he's got a lot on his plate. You know, he's got... um, He's been kidnapping. He's he's got got a busy social life. How can you keep up with all this as well? Ariel Castro later claimed that his crimes were those of opportunity. So he saw these women and a perfect storm allowed him to snatch them. He said, when I picked up the first victim... So he said this in court... I didn't even plan it that day. That day I went to Family Dollar, and I, I think that's Poundland, and I heard her say something. That day I didn't say I was going to find some woman. It wasn't in my character. But I mean, that's almost even worse. I'd rather, if I was going to get kidnapped, it was premeditated than just some person just grabbing me and having no idea of what the fuck they were then going to do with me. I'd want a nice little, you know, set up in the basement, bed. You know, the, I wanted to have thought about it. This just feels like erratic. This is like buying a dog and being like, I haven't got anything in for it. I've just done it on a whim. In August 2002, Castro offered... So I'm going to go through, sorry, the kidnappings from Castro's point of view, or with more details that we know. So in August 2002, Castro offered 21-year-old Knight a ride. Knight was on her way to the social services, but couldn't find the building. So she was actually having an appointment to discuss her losing custody of her child. She asked passers-by for help, but no one could point her in the right direction. And that's when she saw Castro. She knew one of Castro's daughters... So this is a recurring theme, that they knew his children, so then they, as a result, thought that he was, you know, they were safe in his care. That's like a, a common thing with predators, isn't it? Like, obviously, Fred and Rose West. Yes. Basically, finding a way to look like a upstanding citizen, like Fred and Rose West, obviously, it was like, because he had a woman with him. And like with this, because he had children of his own, he was known in the community, people sort of trusted him, thought he was fine to be around, but obviously that was not the case. That's why Myra Hindley, she was the one that used to pick up the kids. She'd say, say, oh, I've lost a glove at at the park where you come and help find it and obviously yeah you wouldn't especially in those days you wouldn't think a woman's gonna murder me oh and like Ted Bundy when he used to put on his crutches and his sling yeah and his and everything and say like oh help I've broken my leg like someone who's disabled isn't gonna hurt me or has got all these books and everything I'm just doing them a nice little favour but no uh, but actually, he, so it's kind of a bit like Ted Bundy with what he did. He offered Knight a ride and then she became aware that he was driving the wrong way. So sort of said, what are you doing? And he said that he had a puppy at his house for her son and convinced her to come inside. I would do that. I would If someone said, Nicola, I've got a puppy for you, I'd be like, fine, I'll follow you wherever. <laughs> I'm getting this puppy. So she went inside his house and then he raped her. And Knight would then be Castro's captive for the next 11 years. Is that not disgusting? Outrageous. On to Berry. So in 2003, uh, Castro offered to drive Berry, then 16, home from a job at Burger King. So obviously she then called home and said, I don't, I've got a lift. Don't come and get me, sister. Berry, like Knight, knew Castro's children and got into his car. He told Knight that his daughter was at his house and would you like to see her? Berry said, yeah, sure do that i mean it feels very much like i'm not sure i could be asked doing that i'm always someone that'd be like nah you're all right i just want to get home after my shift at Burger king and get a shower but no so they entered castro's home on seymour avenue and he told berry that his daughter might be taking a bath so he said oh we'll just wait i mean i'd be like i'll go just say i called you would be wait wait would you or wouldn't you go and say oh i'd go up to the bathroom and go like hey through the door it's just so weird like everything just screams abductor or this is not right but i mean i suppose they're children they don't know do they at this point though the children aren't living with him are they no so they're living with his ex-wife so he's that's why he said he's like oh my daughter's at my house like not oh for a change she's staying with me at the moment yeah so but apparently they lived near each other it was like a neighboring like you know another neighborhood that was close so that would it would be realistic that they'd sort of it does sound very much like they all sort of go into each other's houses i mean i don't know why though because this guy's house he needs it empty because of all the shit that he does in there i mean christ so berry said that he started showing around the house 
And Amanda says, like, I never got back out. So he took Berry upstairs and showed her something strange. So this is uh, this is from Berry's, um, like, interviews with Berry. He said that she saw a mystery woman sleeping in a bedroom in front of a television set. So she later learned that that woman was Michelle Knight, who at this point had been held for almost a year. Berry's memories of what happened next are still, obviously, still quite raw. She said that he took me to the next bedroom and... It was just really dark in there, and he didn't turn on the lights. And there was a little root, little room off the bigger bedroom, kind of a big closet. And then he said he took me in there, and he told me to pull down my pants. And from there, I knew that this is not going to be good. She was then assaulted, and he held like um, night held a captive. And like I said, just a day before her seventeenth birthday. And the worst thing was, Amanda said that she almost called off work that day because the next day was a birthday. Oh. And she sort of says now, like, what if she'd actually called? Like, not even gone into work. Like, this would never have happened. A whole life would be different. I mean, I imagine he'd have just done it to somebody else. Yeah. I mean, he did do it to someone else as well. (laughs) Well, yeah. Just can't stop. So, she did say that he took her to the basement and he taped her wrists, taped her ankles and put a belt around the ankles, her ankles over the tape. And then he put a helmet over her head and he said, just be quiet and don't make any noise and I'll take you home. So, this is a problem. You sort of, in this position, you would just try and do everything you could that they said with the hope that you would leave. Yeah, just to do whatever you can to survive. She said that Castro then changed her to a pole and shot off the lights and left her in the dark with the television on. She said, I just started screaming and crying, somebody please help me, but nobody um, nobody came. She said that she was so scared she was going to die, I didn't think I was ever going to make it home. That's like hot, that's the worst thing, isn't it? Is that, is this, is this a kidnapper, which is so rare? Like, I know that we've got, like, examples of like what's it called fritzel but most of the time people get killed like not not often people escape so like christiana said barry was missing for a week when her family received a late night call this was castro um and he taunted them using barry's cell phone so he said i have mandy but apparently nobody but the people who knew her called her mandy so and he said she wants to be with me so they told the police and then the fbi at this point, we're just starting to develop technology that could track a cell phone's location. That seems late, doesn't it? Like, yeah. 2003, and they're only just working out how to do that. But then I suppose 2003, we were all on like, or we still on like shitty Nokias at that point. Was it 3G by then? Because I think originally it was GP- GPRS, wasn't it? Then it went to 3G, then 4G. Them forge it. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe it would have been like when they were just starting to get like cameras on your phone. Yeah. Like Motorola's flip phones and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it was because I'm not sure when the Matrix came out, but I remember getting the little Motorola flip one. Yes. I had one of those in, in college, so that would have been like 2003, 2004. Yeah. Yeah, with that information, they could track down that her phone would be used within a 30 to 40 block area. But I mean, that's quite good. Yeah, that's really good. But I mean, they didn't do anything with it. Just going to everyone's house. Yeah, but they said, we spent about a week around the clock in that area hoping that the phone would be used again, FBI agent Tim Kolodick said. But Castro never used Mo- Barry's phone again. Beth Serrano, Barry's sister, said that was the last we heard of anything. There was stuff, wasn't there stuff about how he would play, so there would be messages left on her phone from her mum. Oh, I don't know this. Oh, that's heartbreak. It would surprise me because he's quite sick. Like, there's things that we sort of, like, when they're, they're um, he's got them held, there's things that he does that are quite... Like, he constantly leaves TV on and things, and, like, when, when there's, they've got, like, huge reports on them and stuff. Yeah, it makes them watch them. I mean, that's so sick, isn't it? Yeah, it was a similar thing where he would, like, basically make her listen to stuff, listen to her mum, like, on the voicemail, trying to contact her. Oh, that's horrible. Like Christiana said, Castro repeated the same scenario in 2004, this time with 14-year-old De Jesus, who was a close friend of his daughter Arlene. So when De Jesus and Arlene's plans fizzled out, so this was when, when Christiana said that um, De Jesus rang her mum and said, could someone, one of her friends sleep over? It was Arlene. They actually went their separate ways. And as De Jesus walked home, that's when she came across to Ca- uh, Castro's van. So Castro asked her to help find Arlene and De Jesus agreed and went back to his home. Stop going back to his home! I know. Oh my God. It's terrifying. Castro asked Jeannie to help him move a stereo in the house. Very Ted Bundy. Yeah. I, I can always stress, do not, no one help anybody. Just don't do anything. Did I tell you about that time? I think I've told you about this, but me and Nate were in St. Ives. And we were, we, it was really busy. It was like summer holidays. And we were walking like down sort of the, 
the front near the sea where the sea is basically and you can walk around the, the street and there was a car that had stopped um, and the back doors were opened and it was like one of those taxis that's like for people who are in a wheelchair disabled or whatever yeah and it was like and there was an old woman there and she like tapped Luke on the shoulder and she was like could you just help me get this out of the car and I was like don't don't do it don't do it <laughs> it's like dead Wendy she's gonna twat you over the head <laughs> and he was like I don't think that like, it's very busy, and also I don't think this old lady is going to be... But it just makes you paranoid, though, doesn't it, reading about all these things? Oh, all the time. But like, I wouldn't... If I was on my own, I wouldn't stop to help anybody. I just wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I probably would. I think I'm too polite. I'd do it and then think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. And it sounds awful. Again, going back to stereotypes, I'd probably help like a little old woman, because realistically, what's the worst you can do? But I would not help a man. Yesterday, a man asked me if... I knew the way to a road. Like he said, oh, do you know where this road is? And I thought, I'm going to say no, and I'm not offering to get my phone out. Well, in case he mugs me. And I mean, my phone is smashed to shit, so good luck if he does mug me. He'll be devoed taking my phone. <laughs> but I just thought, what if he's going to try and, like, grab me or something or put, like, chlorophyll over my face? Is it chlorophyll? No. That's plants. Chlorophyll. Chlorophyll. <laughs> That's the green stuff. <laughs> You've had to just throw green stuff over my face. Oh, chlorophyll. <laughs> You've probably like, oh, I'll give this to my plants. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I fucking love it. Bit of fertilizer. <laughs> so Castro led De Jesus to his basement where she said that he grabbed her and chained her up. She said he didn't make it tight enough, so I threw it over and then tried to run, but he sat on my back. De Jesus uh, then said that she just started to kick him, and she, I kicked him and I bruised him real bad. Good. Well done. As Castro overpowered her, De Jesus screamed for help with a radio in his basement. Probably the one she just bloody moved. And the radio in his living room were too loud. She said that he would... Oh, this is fucking gross. She said he would take my hair and, like, put it in his mouth. Ooh. I don't know why he did it, but it was gross. I once got a hair stuck in my throat, and it took me about three days to get rid of it. Not from doing that. That's um, a technique that, you know... Paul McKenna's got a book that's like, I can make you thin. Like, one of the techniques that he tells you to do is, like, to imagine eating your own hair. Like, if there's something that you like, cheese obviously imagine eating it and then finding a big clump of hair and like by doing that mind game over and over again you can basically stop yourself from ever eating cheese did not work for me (laughs) maybe maybe castro misread it and thought if i'm feeling like i need to eat something that's bad for me i need to put hair in my mouth yeah maybe who knows he should have used that as a defense (laughs) i read paul mckenna's book and he told me to put hair in my mouth (laughs) i was just trying to diet that is gross though oh yeah that is i would uh, if as soon as i got out of that fucking house i would chop all my hair off mm, shave your head oh good rim de jesus said that the first time Kasha raped her was on may the 7th 2004 so bear in mind she was kidnapped on april the 2nd so a month later that was when he first raped her she said that she remembers the exact day but she does she doesn't feel comfortable at all discussing the details of what happened don't blame her. Apparently, one of the things that Castro later said was like that he didn't assault her until later because she he didn't realise how she, how young she was. And it's like, how did you not realise how young she was? She was friends with your daughter. It doesn't make sense. He's just trying, to, at that point, trying to weed his way out of stuff. Yeah, whether it's the... I mean, unless she was like seven, eight years older and consented, you've, what you've done is still wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, you can't get out of it. So here we come into the like discussion of the conditions that he sort of kept the women in for years. I mean, it's really bad because you just say like for years, but obviously they have no recollection really of time. So they just knew that he kept them chained up in his basement for years before then he moved moved them up into barricaded rooms upstairs. This is mental that this is going on in a house that's on like a little American street, like in Cleveland, and then no one knew about it. So throughout their captivity, he restrained the women and subjected them to multiple sexual assaults. When Knight became pregnant, which happened several times, Castro starved and beat her until she miscarried to the point where she suffered permanent damage to her stomach. So awful. That's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah. Berry became pregnant and he allowed her to come to term but forced her to give birth inside a plastic swimming pool because he didn't want a mess. She was kept in a small room locked from the outside with her daughter Jocelyn. Uh, They pretend to walk to school while they were still trapped in the house because Berry was just desperate to maintain any sense of normality. Uh, She even kept a journal of her life in the house and recorded each time that he assaulted her. This was then used in court 
as evidence. Jocelyn was allowed more freedom, though, the women locked up, and he would occasionally take her to the park and to the fucking church to Sunday service. Like, that's mental. But this is what I mean by when we discussed before about how his other daughter said that she remembered him as, like, caring and everything, and that about, you know, like, childhood memories of him lining all the kids up and cutting their hair in the back garden. But if you don't know anything different, then you sort of think, oh, this is normal and whatever. Well, when Jocelyn obviously started growing up and stopped, could speak and sort of, re- like, I don't know, comment on things, she would say comment about... Barry's chains because she's tied up and he'd said he'd he told them to call them bracelets oh my god it's so depressing so she'd say she'd say that they were like mummy's bracelets but eventually because she would comment on them so much and obviously because as you're, tr- you're a child you would be like well, why do i have bracelets why do mummy and i don't know mummy's friends have bracelets and i don't and everything so he eventually stopped putting them on Barry. thank god so regarding food There were holes in the doors, and that's where he slid food in. Apparently, they were fed once a day with a bag of crisps or crackers. Very carb-heavy. He did apparently, like, when Amanda was pregnant, he would buy her Captain Crunch cereal, because that's all she could eat, because she had, like, terrible morning sickness. And it's like, oh, that's really nice, isn't it? No, it's not. (laughs) It's it's mad, isn't it, that you're like, oh. Yeah. What nice man he was. Probably had to eat them with, like, water. Rather than milk. I suppose the thing is as well, like, if he's shopping, he can't be seen with a massive fucking trolley when it's just him. Yeah, but still, like... You have to think of these things. Well, not I'm not, hopefully not talking to, like, potential abductors. <laughs> I suppose you could go to different shops. I don't know, though. I don't know if it's kind of neighbourhood where everyone knew you. Was it like Cheers? I think it was, because, like, there's a lot about how everybody sort of knew him and talked to him and everything. And was... Yeah. So, there we go. I know you're all thinking it, Toilet, what's going on there? Not much. Plastic buckets is what was going on. And apparently... (laughs) Sorry. Apparently he rarely emptied them. That's so (laughs) gross. But presumably there were toilets in the house that he could let them use. Like, But it was just because he was trapping them. Presumably there was at least one toilet. Because he moved them from the basement to upstairs, didn't he, at one point? Yeah. But I mean, I need the toilet at least... I don't even know what time, how many times I go. In a night, sometimes I can go for a week twice. So that would be annoying. It would probably be better if I had a bucket next to the bed. I was thinking, actually, it's really weird that we've done so many recordings now and we've, neither one of us have ever needed to go for a week because I'm normally like... That is weird. I've j- jinxed it now, so probably. It is one of those things that I do do just before I record, though. Oh, yeah, me too. You know what I mean? It's like when you're like, oh, you, when you're headed out, you're like, everyone gone for a week. It's like, about to record. Toilet. Don't really need it, but I'll give it a go. Yeah, give it a squeeze. <laughs> he also, if they ever said that they needed it, like, obviously, because shower, you know, they'd need to shower. So if they wanted to shower, he'd make them shower with him. <laughs> it just makes me cringe. To make matters worse, he also liked to play mind games with them. So he'd sometimes, like, leave their door open to tempt them with freedom. And if he ever caught them, he'd then punish them with a beating. That's the thing. It's not even like he's done it. Because, like, Fritzel, Fritzel just like chained him up didn't he but this guy's like weird it's almost like he's playing with being caught as well yeah it's quite risky isn't it in one of the interviews with amanda berry like we were saying before that these mind games that he would do basically about to do with their family he made the girls watch new segments of their family who were pleading for information obviously quite emotional and amanda recalled how four days after she was kidnapped he sat down in front of the tv and he switched from one channel to the next to show her mum crying so it was just like constantly her her mum repeating the same statement over again get really upset and oh my god yeah like i said before let let her listen to voicemails from a a worried family and it was obvious that he was taking some sort of like sick pleasure from seeing them crying or upset so they basically figured this out and were like we can't react to these things like we can't get upset about it because he will just keep using that as like a weapon and she actually said that knowing that her family was out there and still worried and still looking for her is actually the thing that spurred her on kept her going i think it was berry's mom as well that when she that when berry was in captivity she was hoping that her mum would go on one of those spiritual shows. I can't think who it was now. Yes. But she ended up, four years later or something, her mum did go on one, and they told her she was dead. Mm-hmm. The person that told her that she was dead, 
she she broke down as well, obviously, um, Amanda's mum. And because Amanda's mum did die before anything happened, she went to her grave thinking that she had been killed. Horrendous. And truth that sometimes they're liars. So yeah, so he was like fucking evil with them. He also, instead of birthdays, he forced them to celebrate their induction days, commemorating their anivers- the anniversaries of their imprisonment. Whilst holding the women captive in his home, Castro maintained a seemingly normal li- outside life. His family members still came to visit him. What the fuck? One, someone could have just screamed. Why did they all just scream? I mean, I suppose they were worried that he was going to murder them. I imagine he said stuff like that all the time, like, I'm going to fucking kill you if you do anything like that. And they were probably like... It was probably soundproof to some extent, and also that thing that he kept the radio and the TVs on really loud all the time. Like, there was always background noise. Like, could you imagine if I went round your house and, like, went up to the toilet, all the doors were shut and locked on the way? And all the radios are on. <laughs> <laughs> like, in different rooms. You'd be like, this is a cacophony. <laughs> I couldn't stand that. Like, I wonder if that was like all the time. Must have been. I mean, I presume no one must have ever stayed over or anything because it's just too risky. I think that's the thing that would make me go mad, though. Like, constantly having noise on in the background. Like, every time I ring my mum, she's always got the TV turned on really loud, and it takes her about five minutes to turn it off. I'm like, Mum, can you can you turn the TV off while I talk to you on the phone? (laughs) Pain. Have you been around a house recently? She might have some girls abducted girls. (laughs) I know. (laughs) They were going up this weekend, so I keep a lookout. Check out, make sure all the rooms open and there's nothing mocked. So he, yeah, he just prevented them from obviously going down to the basement or the other parts of the house somehow. Uh, he continued, obviously, at this point to work as a school dra- uh, school bus driver until he was fired in 2012 for um, child, child, I don't know, cruelty, abandonment, whatever it was. A severe misconduct, I presume. He also played bass guitar with the lo- local groups. Red flag. <laughs> That's a red flag. It is, isn't it? It's always a bass player. (laughs) And I say that as someone who's married to someone who plays the bass. Do you get for attention? Yeah. (laughs) Castro even attended vigils for De Jesus, where he met with anguished members of her family. I mean, this is just grim. It's so sick. He even ran into her mother once and took a missing person flyer that she was distributing and then gave the flyer, like you said, to Jesus with her own face mirrored back. Sick. But again, she said that that was a way of like her holding on to some hope that her family was still looking for her. And, and that it's that like, connection as well. Like with It's the... all backfired, really, for him. Yeah. We're going to go back to a fateful day, May the 6th, 2013, Ariel Castro left the house, but he'd forgotten to lock the big inside door of the house, although he did lock the external storm door, but apparently that was wired with an alarm. Yeah, so like most American houses have a storm door in it. Yeah, if you're in an area where it's like, you you might get hit by a storm. It's like a, just a rickety old yeah. like, door, isn't it? Before you go, like a screen, yeah, screen door. Yeah, yeah. At this point, Jocelyn went downstairs, came back up and said... Mummy, I can't find Daddy. That's so gross that she calls him Daddy. I know it is a dad. I know. Oh, I don't know if I've said that. Obviously, it's a dad. Because she wasn't seeing anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, she said, Mummy, I can't find Daddy. So, Berry was like, what? Because he must be down there somewhere. So, she went down. The other two were like, oh, fuck this. She's going to get caught and, like, beaten. But she went downstairs and, like, searched and went down to the bed. Couldn't find him anywhere. So, she's like, oh, my God. This is our fucking chance. Go for it. So... She ran to the door and opened the big door and was like, oh my God, he's, he's left it open. So but obviously was, there was a locked storm door. So she could open it a bit. So there was a gap. So she put her arm out and then started waving her arm through the gap and started screaming, somebody please help me. Please help me. I'm Amanda Berry, please. And then just kept basically shouting that again and again to get attention. But again, because of these mind games where he would pretend to like leave a door unlocked, it was the threat that maybe he was doing it again. It was very possible that he was just outside the door or something. Well, the other girls as well, the other two, heard her screaming and they couldn't hear what she was saying. They just heard her screaming and they thought, oh my God, he's got her. Because I think... Was it Knight wanted to go down, but De Jesus was like, no. Yeah, she was, De Jesus was like, I basically, I think she was just frozen with fear. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get involved with it. Like, I just want to keep, you know, keep going, surviving. Exactly. They were compliant because they've kept, he's kept them alive for this amount of time. So hopefully he wouldn't, you know, he obviously he's not, they've, no one's really said about what sort of threats he made them, but he's not killed any of them. So, so he's sort of that. We'll just stay quiet, be complicit, and then hopefully 
We won't get beaten or worse. So she's screaming. She did tell police that she didn't make an attempt to break through the other door because she did believe that Castro was watching. Um, and actually, it was just like, sort of, he was just testing them to like, sort of, the, the most he's ever tested them. But she was still thinking he's going to jump out at any moment. Oh, you'd just be shitting your pants. Imagine your adrenaline. Be through the roof. All this screaming and waving caught the attention of a neighbour, Charles Ramsey, who was eating a meal inside his home when he heard the desperate cries. Uh, so Ramsey and another neighbour, Angel Cordero, got to the door and they were kicking it. And then she was kicking it as well to make this hole. So they both managed to crawl out. And then she she, I mean, she was like, oh, I need a phone. So she eventually borrowed someone's phone. Apparently, everyone, I think people, I don't know, it's one of those things like, what would you do if you saw anything like this? Would you just be like, what the fuck? Back away. Do you know what I mean? Because like, she was screaming for ages, apparently, and it was only these two neighbours that came. Um, so she borrowed a neighbour's mobile phone, rang 911, and said, help me, I'm Amanda Berry, I've been kidnapped, and I've been missing for 10 years, and I'm here, I'm free now. You'd be like, fuck. If you were the priest, you were like, fuck. <laughs> Charles Ramsey rings up as well, and you can listen to to his 911 call. Um, and he's like, like, properly losing his mind, like saying, this girl's just run out of here. She's been trapped for however many years. And, and the dispatcher's like, sir, you need to calm down and speak slowly. And it's like, Jesus. Like, I would be like, you what? <laughs> I'd be like, are you serious? Yeah, it's such a momentous occasion. <laughs> I'm like, read the news! But have you seen the, the video of Charles Ramsey? He does an interview with the news that's like quite, it's, it goes a bit viral and then it gets changed into a song as well. I think this happen, it happens a lot, but like with the auto tune songs. Um, but he's, one of the things that he says is that something about like how he knew that something was really wrong because this pretty little white girl came and ran over to a black man like and asked for help oh he he seems like yeah it's quite it's quite a good video to watch like he's um a character for sure and a hero yeah so the police arrived, but they were shocked. They entered the home and found Knight and De Jesus in two different rooms upstairs. The three women and the and Jocelyn were all brought to the hospital. Berry and De Jesus were released the following day, and Knight was released on May the tenth, so like four days later. Knight later recalled the first time I was actually able to sit outside, feel the sun, it was so warm, so bright, it was like God was shining a big light on me. So that day, March uh, May the sixth, sorry, Ariel Castro was arrested and charged. He didn't go on the run or anything. Charged with four accounts of kidnapping and three account three counts of rape. Two of Castro's brothers were also taken in for questioning, but were released on May the 9th. That's the thing, you would think, how has this man done this for 10 years all by himself? A DNA test was conducted and confirmed that Castro was the father of Berry's daughter. I mean, who the fuck else is it going to be? Knight also told police that she'd been pregnant at least five times during her imprisonment, but Castro had forced her to miscarry by starving her and punching her in the stomach. All three women admitted to have been raped by Castro many, many times over the years. Very, very quickly, like a month later, June 7th, a grand jury indicted Castro on 329 total counts. So that included 139 counts of rape, 177 counts of kidnapping, 7 counts of gross sexual imposition, 3 counts of felonious assault, well, I like that word, and two counts of aggravated murder. So these are for, were for the forced miscarriages of night and, and also uh, one count of possession of criminal tools. He's got a lot of um, explaining to do. <laughs> yeah, can you explain all of these? So the counts covered the period between August 2002, so that's when Knight were missing, and February 2007. So this is despite the fact that the total imprisonment of the women lasted a decade. Not sure why that is. So Castro pleaded not guilty, and his lawyers were reportedly walking, working towards a resolution that would forego the need of a lengthy public trial to protect the victims from reliving them, like such a horrific experience. He also was trying to sort of play the crazy card. But on July 3rd, he was deemed mentally competent to stand trial. Although I think US's mentally competent is not stringent as ours. Yeah, I think it's quite a low bar. I mean, he definitely had problems, but I don't think they were enough to warrant him not being punished in the right way. No, it wasn't like a dog was telling him what to do. Mm. Because he was mentally com competent, he, the pretrial hearings could start. He testified on his own behalf. I hate people that do this because they're like, I'm better than people that have studied years in court. I'm going to just do it myself. So he claimed that his crimes were not nearly as bad as they sounded and that the victims lived in some comfort with him as willing partners. Yeah, right. So he said most of the sex that went on in that house, probably all of it, was consensual. Again, though, probably all of it. So this is what, yeah, this is what he argued in court. He said, these allegations about being forceful on them, that's totally wrong. 
Because there were times where they'd even asked me for sex, many times. And I learned that these girls were not virgins. From their testimony to me, they had multiple partners before me, all three of them. It's ridiculous. It's included the 14-year-old? Yeah, the 14-year-old who talks about how, like, the first time she was raped was the first time that she had had sex. Why would she lie about that? Exactly. You can actually watch bits of the trial, because it's America and they don't give a shit about that sort of thing. And you can see his final statement and this is where he sort of says all that stuff. And it's so strange to watch it because it, he's constantly saying, sorry, oh, I'm sorry to the victims, I'm sorry to the family, sorry, to, sorry, sorry. But he's like, but, you know, I was actually um, abused as a child and um, my wife took my kids away from me and all this and I've, I've got problems. Like, it's not me, I'm not a monster. Excuses, excuses, excuses. <laughs> yeah. And at one point, he even like blames the FBI. He's like, oh, well, I, they interviewed my granddaughter, but they didn't interview me. Like, if they had done that, then maybe they would have found out. And it's like, are you... Well, just don't do it in the first place! <laughs> <laughs> He's just literally blaming everybody else for his own actions, except for himself. He requested to see his six-year-old daughter, Jocelyn, but they were denied. And then he eventually agreed to a plea deal relating to the kidnapping, rape and assault of the women. Under the deal... He agreed to plead guilty and be sentenced to life in prison without parole. And then the prosecution agreed that they would not pursue the death penalty. And Castro was eventually sentenced to life in prison plus a thousand years. Fuck. And fined $100,000. I bet he didn't have that $100,000. But a uh, thousand years. He ain't getting it now, is he? No. So at the hearing, Knight said that Castro went to church every Sunday before coming home to torture the women. Knight was the only person to actually speak at the trial. The other two you know, found it too distressing. So she said, I spent 11 years in hell. Now your hell is just beginning. You will face hell for eternity. From this moment on, I will not let you define me or affect who I am. I will live on. You will die a little every day. What a what a lady. In an interview in the month after his conviction, Castro's lawyer said that he fit the profile of someone with a sociopathic disorder. They expressed hope that researchers would study him for clues that could be used to stop other predators. But that never happened. <laughs> Castro was, shock horror, found hanged in his cell a month after he was sentenced. Which makes you think, like, why did they bother to say, oh, we do, like, let's go for lesser charges that's not the death penalty? Yeah. Because then at least maybe the victims would feel like, I don't agree with the death penalty, like I've said it before, but then at least the victims would feel like there was some sort of um, justice that had been meted out. But in this scenario, he basically did take... he got to make his own choices this is it it's it's his death on his terms yeah and he didn't have to go through the imprisonment that they had to go through like a month he was in there a month it's very frustrating and also because they obviously weren't keeping an eye on him like he wasn't on suicide watch but yet a couple of years before i think he'd written like a confession suicide note that they found in the house um you can actually read it on reddit it's not very well written but it's like again he's he's goes through everything and he's again blaming everybody about why he's done what he's done and also implying that that it's a it's a mutual like it's consensual relationship with the people i just don't think if it was consensual he needed to write a murder suicide like a suicide confessional yeah exactly exactly all these things you know it's like do you need to do that though if you're in you know these are happy little relationships you weren't keeping them imprisoned because they would never have gone for you in real life because they were young women but because there's that suicide note some people actually like think maybe that Castro had left the door open on purpose because he just got to a point where it was like I don't want to like I can't keep up this charade having to buy all those packets of crisps and crackers every day yeah um that he just had basically like he wanted them to escape but I don't know if I believe that because I think that someone who's that much of a control freak wouldn't do that yeah and like if that was me I'd kill him <laughs> sorry I sound like a maniac like Cole yeah a little bit but wouldn't you if you wanted it to go away wouldn't you just kill him I know you've then got to get rid of the bodies, but if no one's going in your basement, if you've like got a fucking Fort Knox, your house is Fort Knox, kill them, put the bodies in the basement, lock the door, see ya. Bit of quick line, air fresheners, done. But I think that he really deluded himself into thinking that, that these were like real relationships. Well, I mean, he definitely favourited, that's not a word, Berry. Yeah. Because she bore him Jocelyn. Like, apparently, she would have, like, the other two... I mean, it sounds like fucking high school, but the other two would like were jealous because uh, Barry would get 
sort of more privileges and like obviously a child did she you know she sort of had free reign she'd like go into the back garden and stuff like what the fucking neighbors say like where's this kid come from I mean, think he wouldn't be allowed out, Barry. But he would, finding the kid was with him, he'd take her out. Wouldn't you think the girl, little girl would say? That would worry me. Well, like, people did obviously see her jostling around and around because he used to say that, that she was his granddaughter. But then it's also like that thing that, that no one questioned that. Like, where are the parents? Did he have children old enough to have grandchildren? It's weird. Yeah. I mean, I presume he never saw the little girl. He never had the little girl out when his own kids came around because he couldn't use that excuse. Or did he say, oh, just babysitting her for a mate? I mean, oh, three three women and a kid sounds like a lot to have chained up in your house. It's a lot of admin. And like, how many did Fritzel do? I think it was just a one, wasn't it? It was just his daughter. Was it? Yeah. There's other people. Was that Elizabeth Smart as well? There was someone else. There's been quite a few. Elizabeth Smart, that was... Is that the young guy? Yeah. And his wife was involved as well. I've forgotten what he's called. God, it's just too many. I mean, you can get lost down a few um, Wikipedia rabbit holes through all stuff like this. So yeah, so he hung himself. A spokesperson for the Ohio Department of Rehabilitation and Correction, Joellen Smith, said he was housed in protective custody, which means he was in a cell by himself and rounds are required every 30 minutes at staggered intervals. Upon finding inmate Castro, prison medical staff began performing life-saving procedures shortly after he was transported to the prison medical facility where he was pronounced dead at 10.52. A thorough review of this incident is underway, she added. He used a bed sheet if anyone's interested. I mean, that's stupid. Can they not come up with something like a bedsheet that's sewed to the mattress? Isn't that how Thingy killed himself? Epstein, allegedly. Oh, no. Isn't that how Jeffrey Epstein was staged to have killed himself? <laughs> yeah, you'd think that they'd catch on to that and maybe do something about the bedsheets. Bedsheets are so thin, they just snap, like they break. Well, oh, why don't they take the need of bedsheets and just have really hot prisons, like sauna prisons? I think it is like that sometimes in prison. It gets really hot and they don't have any aircon. Oh, it gets really, really cold as well. I don't know, it's bloody ridiculous. The prosecutor, Tim McGinty, said that these degenerate molesters are cowards. These? God. It's like there's an army of them. These degenerate molesters are cowards. This man couldn't take, for even a month, a small portion of what he had dished out for more than a decade. Let this be a message to other child kidnappers. There will be a heavy price to pay when you are caught. You won't enjoy the captive side of the bars. That's quite good, isn't it, a little thing? A former neighbour of Castro's said, It does give a little bit of closure to the families and people that got affected by what he did. But at the same time, he deserved to be in there for his life because of what he did to those girls. Yeah, this is what you said, isn't it? Yeah. I would find that really frustrating as a victim. I mean, there probably would be some closure with it as well, but yeah, it seems really unfair. Yeah, I don't know if something like that had happened to me. I think I'd maybe always... I'd like to know that they're imprisoned and they're not out, you know, and they're serving time and everything. And probably that I could, if I ever wanted to, I could go and see them if I wanted to speak to them to get closure or write them a letter. So after the trial, the three victims went about rebuilding their lives. Like, that's weird, isn't it? Like, would you be Bezzy's or would you be like, ugh, don't want to see this person again? Well, I think um, Michelle Knight doesn't really have contact with the other two, um, with Gina and Amanda. No, she was older, wasn't she? Yeah. I mean, fuck, she was like 30-odd when she came out of... That's like all of your good years. Not good years, but you know what I mean? All of your like party years, all your like growing up years. Then again, she did have a child. But yeah, it's weird as well because she obviously delivered uh, Amanda's baby. Yeah. like So that you'd feel like that was like a bond forever. Yeah, but they seem to... De Jesus and Berry seem to still be connected, but I think now it's just been like, oh... You would maybe, though. Maybe you'd go the other way where you'd like, these two people just remind me of a horrible period of my life. You know, if you have like a horrible drunken experience, you're like, can't see this person again, ever. <laughs> yeah. But obviously much worse. Two years after the escape, De Jesus and Barry graduated from high school. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. De Jesus uh, got to have a, oh, don't I say this, quinceanera. Oh, quinceanera. Quinceanera, that. That she never had, and she wore a lovely white dress. Oh. Michelle... Uh, Knight went on to write a book about the ordeal titled Finding Me, A Decade of Darkness, before she changed her name to Lily Rose Lee. What the fuck is the point of changing your name and then telling people? Maybe she didn't tell people and they found out, though. Oh, uh, yeah. But, like, yeah, that annoys me. Like, unless you're the bulger, murderers, and you'd be, unless you're a murderer and you'd be given a new identity, which I don't agree with, you know, leave people alone. She got married on May the 6th, 2015, the second anniversary of her rescue. Lovely. And she hopes to reunite with her son, who was adopted in her absence when he comes of age. That's sad, isn't it? Yeah, really sad. She, I mean, she said that she sometimes still has reminders of 
being in captivity. She said that I do have triggers, certain smells, light fixtures with chain pulls. She also can't stand the smell of Old Spice and Tommy Hilfiger cologne, which Castro used to cover himself with. Oh, yeah, it's gross. I can't remember who it was, but I think it might have been her as well that says that she couldn't stand, like, a, th- a meal of, like, noodles with chopped up hot dogs in Ugh. or something like that that he used to do all the time. And that, like, brought back really horrible memories. I don't know why you would cook that for yourself anyway, like, outside. Amanda Berry, she lives with a daughter who's now 13 and has adjusted to making her own decisions in life. God, that's crazy that you're taken away as a child where you used to just, like, be looked after and then you've come out when you're, like, twenty mid-20s and you're like, right, this 10 years of your life, just get on with it. So she now works with a local news station covering missing children and adults in the Cleveland area. Gina de Jesus wrote a memoir with Berry and their experience together called Hope, a memoir of survival in Cleveland. She also joined the Northeast Ohio Amber Alert Committee, which helps find missing people and support their families. And in 2018, she founded the Cleveland Family Center for Missing Children and Adults to work with the families to help them navigate the media and to help go to the police station, de Jesus said. Her cousin, Sylvia colon said that when she disappeared <laughs> we really <laughs> said that <laughs> um, she said that when <laughs> it's a good last name <laughs> i just thinking of yeah it would be like bouquet i'd be like it's colon yeah when she disappeared we really struggled as a family to get get help for anything and gina really feels no family should have to endure that that kind of pain while they're looking for a family member this is crazy De Jesus' foundation is located on the same street where she was held captive. Yeah, you'd think you want to get far away from there, wouldn't you? I oh, know, but do you? But she said, I just wanted to change the neighbourhood. I want to turn it into a positive and I want to give back. Which is very nice. As for Ariel Castro's home, 2207 Seymour Avenue, it was demolished a few months after the revelations of his crimes and is now a garden. You can see pictures of the inside of like his outside and inside of the house and the living conditions. It's squalid it's really really awful i don't think he was big on home improvements no i don't think so it's got too much to do imagine if he got like 60 minute makeover around he'd be like can't go in that room or that room or that room (laughs) (laughs) just do the basement i'd like some really nice hanging racks place to put my chains so yeah that's the cleveland kidnappings the um kidnappings by ariel castro we thought we'd do a non-murder because it can get a bit heavy. Yeah, I mean, it's got a happy ending. It's got a happy ending. I mean, it's still absolutely horrific. But they all survived. Thank you so much for listening again. We'll have uh, another periodical in a couple of weeks' time and then a main episode next month. Oh, I did a burp. <laughs> <laughs> We're really gassy this week. Please remember to share if you're enjoying it. Uh, don't bother sharing if you're not. Um, <laughs> Uh, and like and subscribe and review and yeah just let us know if you're um like listening we'll speak to you soon yeah bye <laughs> whatever the uh, outro do we have an outro music no we don't but we could use the ice cream but <laughs> yeah fucking hell